Welcome to Hollywood Obsessed with Tony Miros, a podcast that celebrates our endless fascination with the iconic people, locations, and history of the entertainment capital of the world. If you're as obsessed with Hollywood as Tony is, or would like to be, get ready to enjoy another exciting, brand new episode of Hollywood Obsessed. Now, here's your host, Tony Miros. Hello, friends. This is your host, Tony Miros, speaking to you from the heart of Tinseltown. On this episode of Hollywood Obsessed, I'm speaking with Academy Award-winning actor George Chakiris, who's best known for playing the role of Bernardo, the leader of the Sharks Gang, in the 1961 film version of West Side Story. The son of Greek immigrants, he made his film debut at the age of 15 in the chorus of the MGM film Song of Love. Later, he started his acting dancing career, appearing in musicals such as Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, where he is one of the dancers escorting Marilyn Monroe in the musical number Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, as well as films like White Christmas, There's No Business Like Show Business, Brigadoon, and Meet Me in Las Vegas, alongside legendary icons like Sid Charisse, Mitzi Gaynor, Debbie Reynolds, Gene Kelly, and Rosemary Clooney. In 1958, he traveled to New York, hoping for a Broadway break. Hearing that Jerome Robbins was casting the London Company of West Side Story, he auditioned and was awarded the co-starring role of Riff. He played the part for almost two years before he got the role of Bernardo in the Robert Wise film version of West Side Story, a performance that earned him a Golden Globe and the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Since then, he starred in a succession of films and guest-starring roles in several TV series such as Hawaii Five-0, Wonder Woman, Chips, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, Murder, She Wrote, and Dallas. Later in life, he discovered a passion for jewelry design and created the George Chakiris Collection, which he continues to this day. Although he is largely retired from acting, he had a small role in the heartwarming 2021 drama Not to Forget, which co-starred fellow Oscar winners, Cloris Leachman, and Olympia Dukakis. That same year, he published his brilliant memoir, My West Side Story, which I absolutely loved reading. With that said, I can't tell you how excited I am that he's here with me today to chat about his extraordinary life and career. So let's get this conversation started. Hello, George. Thank you so much for being my guest on Hollywood Obsessed. Hello, listen, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm privileged. I really am. George, I can't even tell you how thrilled I am because as a young a young man, I was a young actor in New York and all my all I wanted to do was play Tony or Bernardo in the Broadway version of West Side Story. Oh, that was wow. my dream. Well, well that's a nice But it never dream. happened. It never well, happened, well, but I lived through I lived watching you do it on screen and I've loved that film so much and it's such an honor to speak to you. Honestly, thank you for doing this. Uh, listen, honestly, it, it, it's so much my pleasure. And, and hearing that you wanted to play those two roles, I mean, how, uh, first of all, that must have been really exciting for you to want to do that. And, and, and understandably so that you would want to do one of those two roles because it's, it's a great piece and it's a wonderful, beautiful piece for, for younger people. Yeah. Um, actually, you know what's funny, George, when you released your book, My West Side Story, which I bought and I, I went to a book signing of yours in Hollywood at Grauman's Chinese Theater where you oh, signed gosh. the book and then they, and then they had a Q&A with you before they showed the film again. And you were so, it was so fascinating. Everything that you've lived, what an amazing life, what a thrill. How has it been for you to sign your books and meet the people that have loved watching you on film? 
Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that is always, it sounds so corny to say it, but it really is true. Okay, meeting the people who who bought the book and liked the book and all that kind of, I, you know, it's, that was really beautiful. Uh, because first of all, when in writing a book, I, I, the thing you hope more than anything else is that someone will like it and, and, and hey, maybe, maybe even read it, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's nice. To meet people, it's, it's wonderful to meet people, however you meet them, who have a common interest. And that is because we have, we have something in common, and I find that really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. How, how long did it take you to write this book, by the way? Um, well, I wrote it with a wonderful writer whose name is Lindsay Anderson. I'm, I'm sorry, Lindsay Harrison. But uh, anyway, it took me... I, I I didn't know exactly how long it took to write the book, but I my guess is about two years, maybe not more. And I wrote with a, a wonderful writer whose name is Zindi Harrison. And, yeah. Um, it was. It, it, I, I loved it. I really loved it because what it, you know what I loved is it um, it made me it made me think about everything that happened and people like that and all of that because uh, with so much time passing over all of that you, you do tend to, to forget you don't think about it every day and and, and the beauty uh, was that I was reminded of so so much that I had experienced and really loved and people I've met and all of that so I had I really had it I loved uh, doing the book with Lindsay I really did that's great. So, um, you know, when you talk to film historians, they always talk about George Shakiris, the Latin lover type. But in actuality, you are from Greek parents, immigrants. You're not Puerto Rican like Rita Moreno in the film. Tell me about no. growing up as a, as a Greek immigrant. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I never felt like anything but another kid in school. I mean, I... Uh, I, I, I I never thought of myself as a Greek immigrant, never thought of myself as an immigrant, just never mm -hmm. thought of any of that. I was just a young kid, uh, born where I was born and involved in what I was doing, an, an incredible family I was born into, really loving, wonderful mm -hmm. family, with, uh, sensational parents. Um, and, and they, my parents did not behave themselves, I realize as I'm talking to you. They didn't behave like immigrants. They were just people here taking on life in, in the United States. They didn't, they didn't, they, nothing, they didn't behave. I, the only way I can try to answer this is they, they didn't behave like immigrants. The, the word never crossed our minds ever right. they were just people in the country trying to make a living and raise their kids and all of that stuff like everybody else where did the where did your love for music and singing and dancing come from did you watch old movies where you where you was your family into into musicals and dancing no because you know my family were involved in nothing of that so i have no reference and no one around me talked about those things. So it, it, it came, I, the one thing, I, I, it's vague, but I can try to, somewhere when I was about six years old, 
I had to be on, on a stage somewhere, <laughs> I don't remember where it was, with one of my sisters. She was doing something. She was probably a, a year, two years older than me, so she would have been seven or something. I don't know what we were doing, but we were on a stage, and there was something about being on the stage that I really loved. Uh, uh, but it, it wasn't that. I think like a lot of uh, kids, um, the, the thing where I, I, I lived in an area where I, if theater existed, I didn't know about it. The only yeah. thing I knew, the only thing that was, was movies was film. So that was my form of escape, of entertainment, all of it, dreams. Uh, and, uh, so it was, I think it was seeing movies that just grabbed my imagination as it can do for, all of us, really. Um, yeah. but it, it, um, and I just fell in love with the idea. I didn't know what it was, uh, but I just loved that. I'll say that world. And uh, and I ha my father was ha had a an actually good singing voice, um, and so having inherited that from him, I guess I did, because it turned out that I had a a, a kind of nice uh, singing voice myself. And I discovered yeah. that I discovered that about myself when I was about twelve, or maybe less than twelve, because I sang in a boys' choir in Tucson, Arizona, and a mm -hmm. boys' choir. When we when we moved to Long Beach, I sang in a boys' choir in an Episcopal church, uh, a very yeah. famous boys' choir that sang for lots of movies and so on. But but mm -hmm. uh, so I I could listen to the radio, and there was a, one of the famous singers at that time, great female vocalist was Helen Forrest and uh, uh -huh. I remember loving her voice and just me singing to myself I, I was arrogant enough to think well I think I sound almost as good as her you know so <laughs> so, so, so so I I I, um, I was naturally kind of going in that direction and I really loved that direction you know yeah I, how did how did you end up doing Song of Love? That was your debut, your film debut. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, again, I started uh, as, as a choir boy singing the Tucson Boys Choir. We sang for uh, for a sunrise uh, Easter uh, show at the Grand Canyon for five o'clock in the morning. But when when my, the choir master there learned that my family and I were moving to Long Beach, he knew. Of, the, of, of it was called St. Luke's Choristers. It was a St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Long Beach, California, and they had mm -hmm. a, a very well-known boys' choir there that, over the years, had sung for lots of movies. Of course, you know you, your time as a boy soprano is limited because your voice changes. But so right. I, I I sang with that choir for for five years, and one of the songs that uh, I'm sorry, one of the movies they were contracted to be in, to be in the concert sequence of, uh, was Song of Love with uh, Paul Henry, Catherine Hepburn, and Robert Walker. So yeah. there, we, there we were at MGM. I mean, how heady does it get? We were at MGM. We had to go to school three hours every day. We didn't care about that. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and uh, we, Elizabeth Taylor was basically the same age as us. Uh, she was 16, I was 15, and so we met Frank Sinatra, Mario Lanza, all kinds of people, and it was just a, 
a wild, wild experience. And also being in the, uh, that concert sequence, which was on the, the you know, one of, I think it's been there all the time. Uh, Metro, I think on, I think it's on stage uh, six, has a, a, a theater, a huge theater set that they've used for different movies. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's a theater with the stage and all that. And in the, so in this sequence, um, there was a huge full orchestra with an adult choir on one side uh, wow. and, the boys, and a boys choir in the very back of the set. And in the scene, it's Robert, uh, 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 he played uh, Robert Schumann. And in this particular concert, he's having a breakdown. And so in, so in this scene, as the scene is, uh, this concert going on, he starts to have the breakdown and Catherine Hepburn, who plays his wife, quietly comes in from the wings and quietly Mm -hmm. takes it off stage to protect him. And, uh, so got to see all of this, all of these amazing people. And it was that being in that movie was kind of like, because I, I, in all of this, nobody, you never know how you're going to, how I can get anywhere in this game. But being yeah. in a being in a movie studio kind of clinched it for me because I, because I was actually in a movie studio. And to me, MGM was the great movie musical uh, 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 company. So it was, and I didn't realize it, but kind of, did something to me, made, made me want to keep going in that direction if I could. Have no idea. But anyway, it was a it was a very heady and beautiful experience altogether. I mean, I I I don't know anybody who wouldn't be impressed by going into the old MGM lot and seeing all those stars. I mean, I would have been just like you. I would have been I would have been like, this is where I want to live for the rest of my life. And you you went <laughs> on to do a lot of things when you when you got out of high school. You went and you started doing more films. In particular, I mean, you did a couple of them with Marilyn Monroe. Can you tell me a little bit about? Your experience with her and doing those films, those three films? Yeah, I can. Well, the one film that I, uh, it was a movie called Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Jane Russell. And, uh, Jack, Jack, I mentioned Jack Cole because Jack Cole was the choreographer. And Jack Cole was the choreographer that Marilyn wanted for everything. And boy, was she right. He was fantastic. But he staged a, a glorious number that I think historically everybody still loves to see. It's called Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. And yeah. she plays she plays Lorelai Lee in, in that film and she's Lorelai in that number. So it's it's Marilyn with a bunch of guys around her. And uh it, it I don't remember how long it took to for John Cole to t- to stage it probably a couple of weeks or more, but it took three days uh to film it, and, and and you know when you're working on it, you just you're concentrating on the work. And but when it's over, you can think back about different things that you noticed. And I I thought I noticed something really really lovely about her, and that is she when when they called cut for any reason, she didn't go to her dressing room. She didn't look in a mirror. She went right back to her starting position to start again. 
that's how wow. concentrated that's how concentrated she was on her work and that's why one of the reasons she did such a great job um yeah. i i i I, I, and again, I, I, I never, I guess I actually met her, but I was around her uh, uh, due to different circumstances. I worked in a chorus of a movie called There's No Business Like Show Business as well. So I yeah. got to be her around her then. And I was an extra in How to Marry a Millionaire. So I was around her a few times, and some of them in, in circumstances that allowed me to be, be in, in the same uh, space. Uh, in close proximity, really see her, really feel her and get an impression. And every impression I got of her was always great. I always got wonderful, wonderful impressions of her. I mean, I, I saw there, There's No Business Like Show Business, and you were in Heat Wave, the Heat Wave number with her. You also danced with Mitzi Gaynor and Ethel Merman. I mean, yeah. was it yeah. that you were in this in this moment in time where all of these what was it like to be at MGM and those big studios at that time in Hollywood? Oh, my. Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, the two, I, I guess I even noticed at the time, the two most uh, popular studios, they were all popular because everybody loved to work and there were wonderful people at all the studios. But two, the two most pop. I'm talking about how the dancers felt, were yeah. MGM, MGM and Fox. Uh, yeah. Warner Brothers, of course, but Warner Brothers felt like not as as great as they were. That that isn't true, but that's just what we thought at the time. But to to, to go back and kind of emphasize it correctly, uh, definitely MGM and Fox. Those two, uh, the, the 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 musical films at those two studios were always most of the time really really good quality. Yeah, I mean, that's what they were known for, very much. Um, you went on to do Brigadoon with Sid Sharif and Gene Kelly. Oh, my God, that is such a classic film. What was yeah. that like to be on that set? Well, in, in, in the beginning, uh, I was just one of the dancers. Come ye to the square. There's a big number that includes everybody in the square. So it's full of people, and all the dancers were in that but uh, there was also uh, the sword dance uh, that Gene uh, staged, and it was mm -hmm. Hugh Lang who, who Hugh Lang who played Harry Beaton, I think he was called the, the quote unquote bad guy, and yeah. and there were four dancers around him uh, doing the sword dance, and I got to be one of those four dancers. So eventually, it was a small set. It was just Hugh Lang, the four of us, and Gene. So it was close. It was really nice, and and uh, by and dance the that kind of Scottish dancing, you you have most of it is done on the balls of your feet, you know, but yeah. doing it all day for a number of days, you develop uh, something called shin splints, which are oh, really yeah. really really painful, <laughs> and the reason <laughs> I the reason I remember because Gene. It was a dancer. He understood, and he did everything he could to make us feel better. He got us oranges, anything he could to help us get through the because he appreciated and understood uh, the difficulty we were going through. He was great. He was great. I, Gene Kelly, what a legend. My God. I mean, he yeah. danced until he was way older. I mean, he, I think yeah. his last film was 
I think his last film was Xanadu. It might have been. I'm not sure. Um, and White Christmas, you did, uh, what, well, you and Rosemary Clooney, there's a shot of the two of you together. How, yeah. I mean, was that just chance luck? Did she like you? Like, how did that end up in love you didn't do me right by, right? Well, I'll tell you, that, that was one of those times that was really, uh, really lucky. Uh, I, I have, uh, in White Christmas was choreographed by an incredible man whose name was Robert Alton. He'd done lots of theater. He had done Beasts uh, uh, of Parade and some of the great MGM movies as well. And he was doing White Christmas at, at Paramount. And, uh, wait, where am I going with this? So, uh, so one of the first numbers that required lots of dancers was the, the Mandy number. It was called the Mandy, there's a minister, Handy, <laughs> that one. <laughs> and yeah. uh, there were lots of guys and lots of girls in the number, and the four stars were in the number as well, uh, Rosemary, dear Ellen, Danny Kay, and uh, Big Crosby. So, mm -hmm. and, and all the dancers in town absolutely loved working for Robert Alton. He was funny. He, uh, he knew everybody's name, and he was just so gracious to everyone. So you did, you felt important. You know, he, he made us feel good about just being there all the time. Uh, anyway, so I, I worked in that number uh, uh, for Mr. Alton, and we heard that, that there was a number, later there was a number coming up uh, called Love You Didn't Do Right By Me with Rosie, yeah. And it would be just four guys. Well, all of us wanted to do that because, uh, you know, uh, just to, first of all, just to work again. And I guess without thinking about it really very much, just four guys, we could perhaps be more visible. Well, sure. what happened, what happened was, okay, we, we did the number with Rosie, who, by the way, who is one of those darling people you would ever want to meet. Um, and, uh, and, and when that movie was getting released, uh, close to Christmas time, there was a two page spread in, uh, Life magazine and with cover pictures of the different numbers and scenes. And one right. of the pictures, one of the pictures was a picture of Rosie with the four guys around her. So people could see us. And, yeah. uh, a lot, so a lot of, a lot of people, girls mostly, cut that picture out and sent it to Paramount. They wanted to know who I was. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, and uh, Robert Emma Dolan was the uh, producer. And and after White Christmas, I was working on another Robert Emma Dolan musical called The Girl Rush with uh, Rosalind Russell and, and uh, Fernando Lamas. And, oh, wow. And so, one day while we were working on The Girl Rush, uh, uh, Robert Emmett Dolan came to that set with a, a bunch of uh, mail. He yeah. had mail and he, you know, uh, wondering who I was. And so he came to the set. He was such a lovely guy. And based on the interest I got from just being one of the guys, and one of the, he, he, uh, he thought that the studio should test me. And that's how I, and I got, and again, I was a very, very lucky time. So based on those letters and Robert Abbott being such a nice man, the studio did test me and, uh, and signed me to a seven year contract. 
So that changed things for me. Ultimately, didn't change anything. Things, things happened differently. But it, it was an exciting time, you know. Well, I can, I mean, seven-year contract at a major movie studio. What was it like to be a contract player? Because, you know, now that doesn't exist. That was the studio system. It doesn't exist anymore. For those of us who don't, who don't, or those of us who weren't around, what was that like for the contract player to be in a contract like that? Well, it was, uh, you know, the word was that everybody in a seven-year contract, it was always a seven-year contract. If you were at Metro, or Fox, Fox particularly, it seemed, some of the contract players actually got used in films. At Paramount, mm-hmm. per- Paramount was basically a studio for independent uh, producers. So they were uh, under no obligation to use any of the contract players if they didn't want to, and they pretty much didn't. But at the same time, it felt, we all felt, good and special, like maybe we were getting somewhere because we were contract players. So even though we weren't used, uh, it felt good. But while I was there that first year, Joe Pasternak, who was a huge uh, Metro uh, movie producer, um, borrowed me for a small part in a movie called Meet Me in Las Vegas with Mm -hmm. Sid Charisse and Dan Daly. So I got to work on that movie. I, I, I was at Metro for that one. It, it was just so lucky. It was just so, so, so great. Uh, but uh, uh, so, but, but, but basically, because of White Christmas, White Christmas actually did make a difference, even though I was just in the chorus, because I got yeah. lots of attention. You know, yesterday I realized that uh, Jerry Wald, who was a big producer at Columbia, wanted to make me and he did he he, he i drove i borrowed somebody's car <laughs> and drove over to columbia to meet him and uh-huh. it's kind of hard to talk about yourself but i'll do it just to help you understand the story um, sure. he he likened me to montgomery cliff <laughs> and wow. uh he, he was thinking of using me uh uh, of, of a role in an upcoming movie that's called Peyton Place. And oh, wow. The, and the, and he, did, he didn't use me. He used, I'll say who he ended up using, Russ Tamlin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've never told Russ this story. I keep forgetting. But, but Russ played that role so beautifully, and he was nominated for an Academy Award. So mm-hmm. but my, my point is that number with just the the love you didn't do right by right by me number because we each were clearly seen in a medium shot we weren't lost in the background you could right. see us and you could see us for a while i got i got lots of attention thanks to that that number oh and by the way that day at uh meeting jerry walls at uh at columbia the drama coach there was a man called benno schneider somehow i knew his name and uh, uh kim novak was there that same day and she needed a ride to hollywood and vine and i had <laughs> borrowed so, i had borrowed somebody's car so i was able to give kim novak a lift <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, I, I, in your book, in your book, you had a lot of interesting meetings because you met Aunt Ursula Andrews and James Dean at a dinner, oh, right? Yeah. Well, they were uh, Ursula was under contract to Paramount. 
She was the most beautiful girl you'd ever want to see. She was 19 and very funny, and she took none of it seriously. She was just playing and having a good time. Uh, okay. But James James Dean was a friend of hers, and I remember one day there was a, a black tie kind of dinner. I don't remember what it was for, for all the contract players as well. And I sat at the table with Ursula and with Jimmy and... Uh, I don't know. He was darting. He was very quiet, but but uh, such a likable. You could. See, he was tremendously likable somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got to meet him for a dinner, and and, and uh, we we had good times together. Uh, and then didn't Robert Alton call you to help choreograph Judy Garland's Las Vegas debut? That, well, he didn't call me to help choreograph. He was choreographing it. He had two assistants. Uh, one, uh, a female assistant for Judy, her name was mm-hmm. Joan Bailey, and he mm-hmm. hired me to teach the guys what they had to learn. There were 11 yeah. guys, 11 guys in, in that act. And uh, so uh, Joan taught Judy what she was supposed to do, and I taught the guys. And by the way, uh, uh, Liza came to a rehearsal one day, I think it was 14, and she mm-hmm. wanted to learn something. I was teaching her some of the steps the guys did. And the thing I remember, one of the things I remember, Liza, at that young age, how she learned so fast. I mean, she really was quick. Um, just naturally so gifted, so talented. But, yes, I got to be around Judy Garland rehearsal and performance in Vegas. And, and, and uh, she was... She was, she was as amazing, they say she is. She was just mind-boggling. I mean, I can't imagine. Judy Garland, I mean, talk yeah. about... Uh, legend, legend. Yeah, and, absolutely. Absolutely, yes, yeah. And to so, this day, I think to this day, even children know who she is because of The Wizard of Oz. I mean, honestly, it's, it's an amazing a feat that that woman, you know, has remained yeah. so, so amazing. It's an amazing feat. Well, one of the things about her, I mean, uh, to to use the word genius, you don't want to use it stupidly, but you could use it in regard to her and be absolutely hit the nail on the head because she was that. She was, she, uh, uh, you know, just in her songs, uh, mm-hmm. she I, identified with the lyrics in her songs like no one else I'd ever heard has, or mm-hmm. maybe even since. So that's just part of, and she was an extraordinary actress. There's a movie she says with Dirk Bogard called I Could Go On Singing, and there's a scene in that mm-hmm. that they pur- they purposely, you probably know the scene I mean, the, where mm-hmm. she's at the hospital. There. And, and anyway, uh, it's just the two of them, and they, you could see just from the, at least I thought I could see just from the line, they tried very much to do it in one take, which they did. But it's such an amazing scene. It's just, anybody who, I've, I've often thought about that scene and I could go on singing. If you're interested in becoming a performer, an actor, watch that scene because you'll learn something, you know. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, she was, uh, she was flawless. She was just flawless. Thanks for listening to part one of my conversation with the legendary actor George Shakiris. 
On the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed, my conversation with George continues as we discuss how he went from playing the role of Riff on the London stage to the role of Bernardo in Robert Wise's 1961 Oscar-winning film, West Side Story. What it was like filming with the incredible Rita Moreno, as well as his memories of the night he received the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. All that and more on the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed. This is your host, Tony Miros. See you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Hollywood Obsessed. Make sure to visit our Facebook page, Hollywood Obsessed Podcast, where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a single episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in every other Monday for our next episode. That's a wrap.